Brought to you by the first ever Toyota Grand Highlander. Hello, friends. Jack, Flight School O'Brien here, uh, also known as Jack. Still can touch Ned if I get a running start and haven't eaten heavy breakfast to O'Brien. Uh, both nicknames that I go by. Inviting you to check out Miles and Jack Got Mad Boosties for a weekly basketball conversation with me and my co-host from the Daily Zeitgeist, Miles Gray. We are joined by comedians, writers, podcasters, and fellow NBA fans as we discuss the latest news and events from around the league. Check it out. Miles and Jack Got Mad Boosties. Brought to you by the first ever Toyota Grand Highlander. With AT&T in-car Wi-Fi, stay connected wherever you go and transform your vehicle into a dependable Wi-Fi hotspot. Powering applications like real-time GPS and voice assistant, navigation becomes a breeze. Even on the practice field, AT&T in-car Wi-Fi keeps you connected while in proximity of your vehicle. Work, stream shows, or finish homework without missing a beat. See if you're eligible for a free trial at att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi. Don't let connectivity be a roadblock in your journey. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Introducing the Lisa Chill Collection, your answer to hot nights. These mattresses beat the heat with ultra-cool covers, whisking away heat for the perfect sleep temperature. Save up to $460 on chill mattresses and get two free pillows when you shop now. iHeart listeners can save an extra $50 off by visiting lisa.com forward slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. This is the Steelers Preview Show on WDVE Pittsburgh. Here are your hosts, Mike Prezuda and Matt Williamson. Good, good evening and welcome to another edition of Steelers Preview. I'm Mike Prezuda along with Matt Williamson. We'll be with you tonight here on your Steelers flagship 102.5 DVE and SNR until 8 o'clock as we get you ready for the Steelers and the Colts on Sunday at Heinz Field. Normally, we are a Thursday program, but uh, with tomorrow being Christmas Eve and then uh, New Year's Eve next week, we're going to go Wednesday, Wednesday to close out the 2020 regular season. And then uh, we'll be back uh, on our Thursday schedule for week one of the postseason, wherever that happens to be. I guess, Matt, theoretically, the Steelers could still get the bye, but uh, I think people are wondering more <laughs> at this point whether or not they can still win a game, uh, not uh, where they're going to play. Or win. Yeah, exactly. It's been it's been ugly. I mean, I, I really didn't see that coming on Monday night. Really a bad performance. There was some good. Yeah, I mean, I think we can't totally ignore that. They did a couple things okay. But, man, they lost that game more than Cincinnati won it. I mean, there was one path that Cincinnati could take to keep it competitive. That's kind of how it has to go if the Bengals are yeah. going to get a W, right? Right, and the Steelers just pushed them right down that path. Um, some developments today, uh, not relative to the game if Ben Roethlisberger is to be believed. And I'm with you. I, the Washington game, I could understand. Yeah. Uh, the Buffalo game, you could certainly understand. Uh, this one, uh, the Bengals just were not NFL competitive since they lost Joe Burrow. And uh, the Steelers put it on a tee for him and gave him 17 points and couldn't stop the run against a team that threw 13 times. And, and completed seven passes. Uh, the, the play of the offense was alarming, I think. Uh, it's really the first time I looked at Ben Roethlisberger and thought, wow, this guy is the major issue right now. Right. Um, yeah, they, they've had some problems with drops. They've had some problems with protection. And the protection wasn't great the other night. But, Matt, I thought that was uh, Ben just being way below the line. And that was by far the the most uh, concerning of their issues. Uh, without question. And – 
anyone that's followed my work over the years, I'm very rarely pin it on one guy type of analyst, you know, because it's it's is the ultimate team game and is because you're rational. I think so. I try to pride <laughs> myself on that. You know, and obviously quarterbacks carry a lot of weight, and yeah, they can win a game for you, they can lose a game for you, but boy, I, I really thought the receiving core played very well. I thought Benny Snell played well. I thought the run blocking was better. The protection certainly wasn't great, particularly at the tackle positions, but the quarterback destroyed him. I mean, he played a very, very poor game, and that first half, I don't know. I mean, that stuck Hodges' level. Yeah, it was surreal. Uh, just nothing going on. Uh, I, I want to get into Roethlisberger's play in detail in a little bit, but first I want to get to his reaction because he did the Zoom thing with the media today. And one of the things that Roethlisberger revealed, Matt, was that he called uh, a players-only meeting for the offense, hmm. and, and he wanted to talk some things out. Now, Roethlisberger said the idea was uh, not born out of uh, a response to the current three-game losing streak. He just wanted to make sure everybody was on the same page as the Steelers get ready for the playoffs. Here's what he had to say when follow-up questions were asked after Ben Roethlisberger mentioned that he called this offensive players meeting. Quote, I'm sure that this whole thing is now going to blow up. Steelers had players only meeting. That's why I try to emphasize, and this will never get written, it had nothing to do with the losses. It had everything to do with where we are and where we are going. We're getting ready to go into the playoffs. I had the guys raise their hands of who has played in a playoff game and who hasn't. It was over half the guys that haven't played in a playoff game. It's important the veteran guys, the guys that have, communicate what it's like. And Matt, he said a couple of times it wasn't a panic move in response to the losing streak. My question to you is, shouldn't they have that panic meeting here sometime soon? <laughs> right. I, I am I am ready to panic. On that side of the ball, I'm ready to panic. Absolutely. Because they're so quarterback dependent and so timing and rhythm dependent. And they're taking that away from the passing game. And they don't have much else to lean on. And I'm not sure I believe they would have had that meeting if they were 14 at 0 at the more at the moment. I mean, Cam Hayward didn't call one for the defense. You know, I mean, this this offense is in a very very bad place. And I, I think one thing that Ben probably made clear was, hey, a lot of times when you hear like player only meetings, that's because we're going to talk bad things about the coaching staff. You know what I mean? Like we don't want those guys in here. And I don't think that's what's probably went went on here. But hey, it can't hurt. You know, it it brings to mind uh, an old saying of Bill Cowers, and I think we mentioned this uh, at, at one point this season. Bill Cowher likes to say it's okay to be uncomfortable. You know, kind of mm-hmm. kind of brings you to another level of awareness and engagement uh, if you're a little uncertain as to what's going to happen. Is it okay to be terrified? <laughs> yeah, I think so. I mean, Ben, you've been around him much more than me, but, I mean, Ben is – ultra competitive. I'm sure he's embarrassed. That's a Monday night game that everyone saw uh, against what I still believe is the worst team in the league. And now you have your contemporary coming to town, the same guy, you know, same draft class who's playing okay and leading his teams to wins. I I think Ben will look at this and look in the mirror and say, "I I need to play a thousand times better, but can he? That's what we don't, I mean, he can play better than last week, but I mean, can he be can he put the team on his shoulders still? Uh, that's a question. Yeah, and, and and part of the question, you know, Ben Roethlisberger is 38. He is coming off elbow surgery. He threw another pass 
in in Cincinnati that I thought was exquisite, the touchdown pass. Yes, yes. I, I, I don't think he is incapable physically. I see a lot of people uh, maintaining that his arm is, is shot and he's done. I don't buy that. And physically it's over. I, I don't buy that for a second. Now, uh, is he playing at a level that's acceptable? No, he is not. And I – it's got something to do with something other than his arm. So what is that? Has he lost confidence in his receivers? Did this kind of uh, dovetail with everybody starting to drop the ball in that Baltimore game, which they survived and got a victory out of, but the drops continued into the Buffalo game after that. Drops continuing at an unacceptable level. Uh, the protection has not been good. And particularly, I thought in that Buffalo game, he was getting rid of the ball in 2.1 seconds because if he would have held it for 2.2 seconds, he'd have got flattened. <laughs> it was periodically bad against the Bengals. You you referenced the tackle problems, but maybe he's lost confidence in the in the line to protect him. If he has, I get it. If he's iffy on some of the receivers, I get that. But uh, here's where uh, I had uh, – I don't want to say an issue, but here's where I'm seeing things a little bit differently than Ben Roethlisberger. I want to take you back – to the play on which Eric Ebron was injured and knocked out of the game. Uh, the the throw to Ebron when he seemingly passed up Juju Smith, not Juju Smith-Schuster, Chase Claypool breaking open deep. Uh, the Monday night guys made a big deal out of him making the wrong read. Roethlisberger, in that instance, uh, I agreed with them. Here's what Roethlisberger had to say uh, about that play. If you go back and look at it, 30, which is Jesse Bates of the Bengals, okay. Who, who is a ball hawk safety. He's a guy who takes chances and does stuff. He's on chase until he sees the ball come out of my hand. Chase thought he was open, but when you go back and look at it, you realize the guy was back there to make a play. Could you throw it up and be two-on-one and maybe your guy makes a play? Yeah. You have to take uh, kind of the smart throw there, which I thought was a good one, but looking back at it, you have to realize guys come open once the ball comes out of your hand a lot. Now, he also defended... Uh, the throw to Juju Smith-Schuster that resulted in the uh, incompletion that was challenged and legislated into a fumble that the Bengals had. Claypool appeared to be open deep on that one. Matt, I looked at that second one in particular, the throw to Ebron, and what I'm seeing on my tape is that Jesse Bates starts moving to where Ebron is going to end up the moment Roethlisberger hits the back of his seven-step drop. When his right foot hits the ground and he starts looking down the field, Bates is already moving. He takes a good four steps toward where Ebron's going to be before letting the ball go. The protection was not an issue. They had a seven-man protection, three double teams, including tight end Vance McDonald and Gerald Hawkins, who was in as an extra offensive lineman. Bates was so intent that the ball was going to go to Ebron, he ended up being one of the three guys who blew Ebron up. And Claypool's running down the field, uh, if you caught one of the replays on Monday Night Football, he throws his hands up in the air, and then he's grabbing his helmet. Like, oh, my God, I was wide open. Matt, he was, at least on I the tape so I'm too. looking at, he was. What did you see? Yeah, I, I thought so, too. And, uh, I mean, every quarterback makes misreads throughout the course of the game. I mean, and maybe Ben, you know, we, we're, we're going to nitpick things like that because of such a poor performance. But overall, and I'm excited to ask Merrill's opinion on this, too, I thought – Ben turned down several higher risk, longer developing, more downfield throws for the easy way out. And I'm not implying this is the case. This is a very general statement. But whenever people ask me, are quarterbacks done? 
a lot of times they'll reference, well, he can't move anymore. You know, like Philip Rivers can't move anymore. Uh, he's got no no arm. Well, I think Ben still has, and you mentioned this earlier, has enough quarterback tools and ability to be successful. But when the things I notice when quarterbacks are, are really done are they can't handle the length of the season, the rigors of the season, that the, the last month is a lot worse than the first month. And maybe more importantly, and this showed up this week, but I'm not saying Ben is done. I'm just saying we saw it. You turn down the longer developing things because you don't protect yourself as well. Your body doesn't respond to the hits as much. You're very reluctant to hold that ball the 2.3 seconds instead of the 2.1. Like Eli Manning's a great example of that. Like he's dumping everything down. You know, I mean, that those last two years. And yeah, he can live that way, but I, 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 that's the things to look for, in my opinion. See if they keep up. Yeah, I think that's showing up. I think that's been showing up before the Bengals game. I thought, uh, now let's go back to the pick six in Buffalo. I think if he holds that one an eye la- uh, uh, an eye blink longer, mm-hmm. he's got Ebron breaking open over the middle, and instead he dumped it down to Juju. Now the pressure was, you know, the pocket was constricting there. It wasn't a, a free rusher, but you know he didn't have time to to open up the picnic basket and enjoy a nice lunch. But uh, when he talks about worrying about Jesse Bates and not wanting to throw it into a dangerous area, he threw it into triple coverage to Ebron. <laughs> right, he, right. It when, wasn't exactly when a he safe throw. It, when he dumped it down to Juju, Juju got destroyed, and he had no chance to get the first down there. I, I just they kept saying on Monday night he's not seeing the field. He's not seeing the field. I don't know if he's not seeing it or he's just not reacting to what he's seeing the way he used to. But I think it's something uh, upstairs with Ben much more than it is his right elbow. I 100 percent agree, and maybe it's a confidence in himself or in his ability to consistently make the tough throws. I mean, I, there's. There isn't a stat for the throw you should make and you decide not to. Like I was, Alex Smith is yeah. like the perfect example of that. Like they scheme it up, the guy's open, and he dumps it down, and the offense coordinator loses his mind. Well, there's no stat for that, and you know it, it's alarming, it's concerning, and I understand that people get wiser and older, and you rely more on brains than brawn. But if I told you eight years ago those words would come out of Ben's mouth, I can't imagine. I mean, he's the total opposite of that. He's going to stand in there and take that hit against Buffalo or shrug off a defensive end. And he's not that guy anymore, but his mentality is, or, you know, his, or the way he thinks used to be. Yeah, you know, if there's any sliver of hope in that Cincinnati performance, I think it's some of the stuff that he tried to do. Early in the game, we saw him roll right and throw deep on the run to James Washington. Now he underthrew it, mm-hmm. but it's a play we haven't seen him try to make. And then later uh, a roll right. And he threw to the corner of the end zone to chase Claypool. It was a touchdown there to be had. And he missed him. Yeah. He missed him by a little bit, but he missed him. But those are more of those Ben like things. I think he just needs to find a little balance. You know, he had to change his style years ago because he was going to get killed. You know, it used sure, to be sure. the, I'm not giving up on any play and I'm going to try to extend everything. I'm going to hold it forever. And I don't care how many hits I take. He would no longer now, be playing you know, if he did that. Right. Yeah. Right. That morphed into get rid of it, get rid of it, get rid of it, get it out, get it out, get it out. I mean, just, you know, there should be a battle. It doesn't have to, it doesn't have to be all or nothing. Just, you know, when you have a seven man protection against a four man rush and you have three double teams, maybe give that play a little bit longer and see if the safety, if you're moving him with your eyes and then turn back and throw it to the guy who's wide open 
for a touchdown. Uh, hopefully he can find that because I still think he has the physical ability. He said his arm is not shot. Somebody asked him uh, today how he would know if that was the case, and he said, quote, I guess you'll just feel fatigued. You'll feel like you can't make the throw or something. I don't know. Uh, that's the best answer I can give you. Uh, I guess it, you'll you'll feel it. I haven't felt that yet. Now, you know, who knows if he's being uh, forthcoming or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got to take all media interviews with a grain of salt. But, <laughs> of course. Uh, I, I think he's a guy who can still play, but he is just groping for the right way to play right now for a lot of reasons. Yeah, uh, you're right. And I, I, I was talking about this earlier. I mean, Russell Wilson's in a slump. You know, he hasn't played well for four games. Kyler Murray's coming off a slump where he didn't play well for three or four games. Like, if he wasn't his age and he just had a couple bad games in a row, or if the Steelers could catch the ball two games ago, we might not be having these same discussions. You know, I mean, it's not like it's been all awful for a month. What we just saw was flat-out awful, and he did just miss a couple throws that would have been the difference in the game, too. You mentioned the Claypool touchdown early in the game. Deontay Johnson is kind of in the intermediate zone there where Ben misses him. You know, like, I still think Ben makes those throws more often than he doesn't. But it's funny, Dale and I on the drive, Dale Lawley on the drive, he really broke down all Ben's numbers by quarter. And it's amazing how awful he's been in the first quarter, even when he was playing well. Like, that's been a problem since this, you know, since week one. His first quarter has been really bad. Well, they got uh, a couple of weeks to try to get that figured out before uh, they head to the postseason. Uh, Indianapolis on Sunday and then at Cleveland, which may yet be a game for the AFC North Division Championship. We have a lot more to get to tonight before Matt and I get out of here at 8 o'clock tonight, so keep it right here. When we come back, we're going to hear from Bill's head coach, or excuse Colts me, Colts uh, yeah. head coach, Frank Reich, former Bill's quarterback, Frank Reich. Uh, He's going to talk about uh, something interesting that uh, Indianapolis has going on as a defensive motivator. We're also going to hear from the third member of our preview team, Merrill Hodge. He'll be joining us in the third segment tonight. So keep it right here with Matt Williamson. I'm Mike Pursuta. You're listening to Steelers Preview right here on your Steelers flagship, 102.5 DVE and SNR. Back to the Steelers Preview Show on DVE. Welcome back, Mike Pursuta, along with Matt Williamson, with you tonight until 8 o'clock here on the Steelers flagship, 102.5 DVE and SNR. We're getting ready for the Steelers and the Colts on Sunday. Uh, Nothing major to report uh, from either club uh, based on today's participation reports from practice. Uh, Marcus Allen for the Steelers did not participate with a stinger. He left the game in Cincinnati briefly and then had to come back in, basically, because they had nobody else to play the position. James Conner quad was a full participant. Derek Watt concussion, full participant. Uh, Ulysses Gilbert, the third ankle, he did not participate. Uh, Kevin Dotson, uh, the rookie guard, shoulder, he was a full participant. And then three guys, uh, three veteran guys not practicing. Eric Ebron back, Stefan Tuitt back, and uh, Ola Adeni shoulder. Uh, Ebron, of course, knocked out of that Bengals game. Uh, Dotson wasn't available for the Bengals game. Gilbert got hurt in the Bengals game, as did Derek Watt. Matt, uh, James Conner looks like he's ready to go. Uh, Is he ready to now back up Benny Snell based on what you saw the other night? 
Yeah, I'm more excited about Vince Williams and Dotson coming back. I mean, the the, the spots that those guys are going back into didn't have NFL players in them in that, the last week or so. Um, yeah, that's a good conversation. I, I'm pretty much at my end of my rope with Connor. And Snell's a very pedestrian talent, but I thought he played well. And when he gets a lot of touches, he produces, he runs hard. They really need somebody with some juice, and you know it's not Snell or Connor. I think that's a big offseason need, but I would, ha- I think I'd keep Snell as a top ball carrier. Yeah, certainly. Uh, see if he can build on what he accomplished in Cincinnati. You mentioned yeah. Vince Williams uh, activated off the reserve COVID nineteen list, and uh, you know I don't think Vince Williams is a game changer, but as you mentioned, it was a little thin at that inside linebacker position without Devin Bush, without Robert Spillane. Uh, they're, they're getting uh, down to the bottom of the barrel. And Vince Williams, at least a guy that can help them against the run, and he can help them rushing the passer. Uh, I found it humorous that uh, they were highlighting that one uh, Geo Bernard touchdown and asking on, on the Monday night broadcast, they were asking, why is Keith Butler have Avery Williamson covering Geo Bernard? Who's he going to put out there? <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yeah. They don't have a linebacker that can cover that guy. That's right. why Cincinnati threw to him. <laughs> exactly, yeah, I mean – it's that thin right now on the second level. I give Allen credit. He returned to the game after being injured. I've seen enough yes. of him, though. I mean, ton of credit. Yeah, ton of credit. That's great. And he doesn't need to have regular snaps on defense. Vince Williams might not be a world beater, and he probably would have got abused by Gio Bernard in space as well. But he knows. Yeah, he's what not gap covering to... that guy. Either. No, no. But he knows what gap to hit. He knows how to take on the run. He's not going to get bullied by guards and fullbacks and whatnot. And he's played a lot of snaps. And he's an NFL caliber player that can help them a lot. Where it's just not as such a glaring hole as it's been. Same as the left guard spot. Yeah, I'm. I'm okay with Allen in the dime as the lone. Okay. Lineback, inside linebacker in a dime. It seems to me they've simplified that for him and just said cover the running back, and he can do that. But, yeah. boy, he got swallowed by the guards a couple times, just uh, just uh, obliterated, uh, eclipsed. He doesn't see it great either and respond. You know what I mean? He's not always he – can, he can take a false step here and there, and then he's, you know, washed out. So it's, it's all it takes. Uh, nothing uh, of significance on the Colts side. Tight end Mo Ali Cox knee was limited. Uh, as was defensive end al Kadeem Muhammad with an ankle and Quentin Nelson, uh, their outstanding uh, guard uh, with a back. But uh, I would expect to see those guys on Sunday at Heinz Field. Interesting uh, happenings in Indianapolis. Uh, the Colts making the big move to get Phillip Rivers, and it's worked out to 10-4. and four, And that after losing the opener at Jacksonville. I watched that game. I still remember how bad Indianapolis was in that game. Um, Nice, uh, but nice bounce back since, including wins the last three weeks in a row, including a 27-20 win over the Texans last Sunday. Saw something interesting on the CBS broadcast of that game when I was reviewing it uh, in preparation for this show, among other things, and I had a chance to talk about that with Frank Reich today via Zoom. I, I wanted to start with your defense. They told an interesting story on the broadcast of the Houston game on Sunday about the hits chart, the uh, hustle, intensity, track tackling, and situationally smart. They said you're grading your guys on this, and and they're really into it. What was kind of the genesis of that? How do you grade those categories, and what's the reaction when that gets posted week to week? Yeah, I mean, it's 
it, it does drive a lot of conversation, and that's Coach Eberflus is, you know, has always had this pitch chart deal, so it goes way back. Um, I don't know where the the original genesis of it is, but it's something that we take very seriously, hold the guys accountable to, and it, it's it's just a way to measure production and to, you know, emphasize the things that we think are important to playing great defense. Do they argue about their grades, or does it ever get emotional? Of course they do. Yeah. Of course they do. I mean, it's funny. I mean, we all do this, right? We're grown men, and we get critiqued, and if we feel like we've been graded uh, improperly, we're going to ask the question about it. But So we have some laughs with it, um, but the guys are good. And uh, what I think Coach Eberflus and the defensive staff do a tremendous job of is making the standards very clear. And uh, so that to minimize what some of those questions are going to be. And is that kind of the signature of your defense, what you're after? I mean, you have some very good players uh, individually, but the, it's the collective uh, hustle and, and fly to the ball and, and take it away and all that stuff. That is the signature. Um, you know, that is the signature to the defense. We, we love that being our signature. Um, yes, we want great individual play, um, but we want the signature to be about how we play as a unit and, um, there's a lot of things that measure that, but we, we, we think hustle and intensity are certainly indicative of really good defensive football as a unit. And so, um, you know, as a, as a coach, uh, it, it always, it always makes me happy when I get on a field before a game and I have other guys from the other staff coming up to me saying, man, your defense plays hard, man, your defense plays hard. Um, that, that's, that's the kind of feedback we want. I was wondering, uh, as you guys prepare here for the Steelers, they had eight, nine weeks of really good offensive tape to look at. Things have been more of a struggle here the last four. Are you kind of force-feeding the tape of when things looked really good for the Steelers to your defensive guys to say, hey, look, be on your P's and Q's for how this looks when it's right? Or are you kind of trying to show them what's gone wrong the last four and how other teams have, have exploited it? I think they're looking at all, you know, I think we're looking at all of it, you know, understanding, you know, when this, when they're humming, uh, when the Steelers offense is, is going at its finest, which obviously is at a very high level, um, which has been proven, you know, year in and year out, but certainly even this year, um, you know, what makes it go and why does it go when it's going? Um, okay. And then the last couple of weeks, it's been a little bit more of a struggle. Um, you know, what, where have those struggles come from? What, you know, what's been the cause of those struggles? And, you know, is it scheme? Is it a, is it a match? Is it a player matchup? You know, those are all things that you look at. And when you have the ball, I had two questions about your guys on offense. The first of which is Taylor. Can you just speak to us a little bit about what you discovered about him and how he's worked out for you as a rookie? And then, uh, Working with Rivers, um, has there been anything that has surprised you? Maybe you had some preconceived notions or thought you knew him after so many years in the league. What, what if anything, you said, well, I didn't know this about the guy? Yeah, I mean, uh, the first thing is, you know, Taylor, um, just a great player, young, obviously rookie, great work ethic, great on and off the field as a player, strong, big, explosive, fast. Um, you know, really showing him, you know, very mature for, you know, being a rookie um, and continued to get better, started off the year good, but just has gotten better as the year's going on, as he's seen the schemes and the blocking schemes and what we're trying to do and how we're trying to attack defenses. He's running with more and more confidence um, and doing a great job. Uh, you know, Phillip, 
you know, I just continues continue to, you know, be in awe of his um, consistency and how he's playing at such a high level at 39 years old. And, you know, maybe the thing, it's not shocking, but, um, but that you have to respect is that, you know, at 39, I mean, he, he just, his arm talent is still the same as it was when I was with him five, six years ago. Um, his passion for preparation for the routine, for practice, for watching film, um, you know, he's, he's just as passionate about the, the daily process as I've ever seen. And I, I just highly respect that. That was Frank Reich today on Zoom. Matt, that hits list again. Uh, they, they post this in the locker room every week. It's called the accountability sheet on defense, and you're supposed to grade at a minimum at 90%. H is for hustle. I is for intensity. T is for track uh, slash takeaway. And S is for being situationally smart. And, uh, you know, I'm not a big fan of stuff like this at the pro level. Uh, I think it's a little high schoolish, to be honest with you, but uh, it seems to be working for the Colts. Uh, I'll give you an example of how well it worked at the end of that Houston game. I don't know if you saw the last Texans drive, but they're down seven. They get the ball back with a buck 47 left. Eight plays, they go from the Houston 25 to the Indy 15. Then Deshaun Watson hits Kiki Kuti for 13 yards right in the middle of the field. And Darius Leonard, the uh, all-world linebacker, He's covering a running back in the flat at the start of the play. He comes flying in from behind and punches the ball out. Indianapolis recovers in the end zone. Game over. Uh, take a knee, and, and that's the ball game. Uh, the Colts defense was getting uh, handed, uh, getting the ball handed to them at times, shoved down their throats, and they were able to stay with it, keep hustling, and they made a hustle play at the end that saved the game. Yeah, and people rave about Everflus, their defensive coordinator, as a motivator. Um, they're not a real diverse scheme. They don't blitz a lot. They're execution-based. And you can just see the kind of players they've drafted, too. I think it's a really good front office, too. They draft for speed. They're a dome team. They draft for length. They want long guys to cover a lot of grounds, particularly at the linebacker position. You'll see They got a little that up players. front, too. Yeah, I mean, Buckner obviously stands out. But there's a mold that they're looking for, and they've done a really good job of finding them. And I'm sure the competitiveness is at the top of that list. And it's funny, these these hit charts and things, you mentioned them being kind of high school hairy-ish. But uh, guys get a kick out of that. I mean, when you put it up on the board and you're competing against other linebackers, you don't want to be the guy under 90. Yeah, it's, it, it is working. Um, it's working for Phillip Rivers, too. And the amazing thing, you know, you look at the way he plays – he throws more to running backs and tight ends than Ben Roethlisberger does. This guy oh, yeah. never met a sideways pass he, did, he didn't like. But every once in a while, he'll hit you with that deep post or that deep cross, and uh, that's working too. It is. When they signed him, I really thought it was a mistake. I thought he was a, a liability with the Chargers last year. So many turnovers. I think he had 20 picks last year with the Chargers. But he's reeled it in quite a bit, and – especially lately, especially the last month, six weeks, he's a lot more comfortable than he was at the beginning of the year. They really spread the ball around. I mean, it's hard to get a B just on one receiver. He's Especially to the tight ends and running backs. Right. I mean, they use three of each and, you know, four <laughs> yeah. receivers, you know. He's remarkably immobile, and I guess he's got a toe thing now that he needs to get off-season surgery with. But I would warn people, too, that if you look at their last four or five opponents – 
They're about the worst defenses in the league. Well, you can only you can only beat right. who you're playing. Uh, we Phillip didn't hold that the Steelers is, for a lot of the year, you know. Yeah, he's older than Ben Roethlisberger, and he's not throwing the interceptions that Ben's throwing all of a sudden. And Philip Rivers is winning, and Ben is losing. I got well, one more thing for you, Mike. How about this stat? They've played four teams that are on their second head coach this year. <laughs> wow, that's a great that's a great stat. Yeah, it's crazy. Well, they still got Mike Tomlin coming up. I don't think he's <laughs> going anywhere. But when we come back, Merrill Hodge will hopefully clue us in as to how the Steelers can pull out of this nosedive and uh, see if they can get right before the playoffs. With Matt Williamson, I'm Mike Pursuta. You're listening to Steelers Preview right here on the Steelers flagship, 102.5 DVE and SNR. Back to the Steelers Preview Show on DVE. Welcome back to the preview. Mike Pursuta along with Matt Williamson with you until 8 o'clock tonight. Time now to welcome the third member of our preview team, Merrill Hodge, to the show. And Merrill, uh, I can recall that one of the early junctures of the season, you said this team has a chance to be special. And I thought, man, I could not agree with that more. It looks like the sky is the limit for this Steelers team. And now I'm wondering if they're going to win another game. <laughs> what is the yeah. the most significant fix to make? What do they got to clean up first and foremost to get that arrow pointing back towards special? Well, if you just want to go to what really allows you to have a consistent chance to win in, in, the, in the National Football League, which is different than any level in football. What I'm about to say is not as relevant in college and clearly not as relevant in high school, but it is in the National Football League, and this has been true from the history of the game. This will never, ever change. You have to control the, the tempo and the environment. Well, that's why, if you ever hear every week, every week, I guarantee you, when you talk to every coach, so we got to stop the run. Oh, we got to get run. You, know, you always hear, got to stop the run. There's a reason for that. They know what ha- happens when you can't run the ball. When you can't run the football, A, up taking a phase from you, and now you can't dictate and now you don't control the environment. When you do, then the opposite is true. It permeates throughout your whole team, and you control the environment and the tempo. So to answer your question, um, on both sides of the ball, and then this is a team that you know you can. I think you can run on. Now, teams have run on them. But to if the offense could get a physical presence and run the football, okay, that will mitigate a lot of their offensive issues and with some consistency there. You know, if you leave this game and you've had it 35 times, I'm going to tell you this, there's a good chance they're going to win this game. Uh, and then on the other side, you're going to have to defend a good running attack. You're not going to be able to let them get rolling. So the front seven, you know, you got a bunch of linebackers that are new. You know, you mentioned what, what we were talking about because they never got to where they were completely capable. They, they had games and moments where they were – you could tell the potential there. But I'm telling you this, when, when they lost Bud Dupree, and when I saw that, I was like, ugh. Like my heart sunk because I'm like, I'm that dude was a difference maker um, in a massive way. Because when you have TJ and both him to prepare for, you almost have to decide, okay, do we give up people and protect, or we take a shot and try to throw? Either way, it's not good for us, and they don't have that worry anymore. You know, they, they predominantly you're going to take care of TJ got inside linebackers that are new. You know, and they didn't play the run that well. You know, they're peaking. You know, I call them peaking linebackers where you're peaking and not really getting where you need to be um, and take the pressure off the defensive line. They can only do so much. You know, that collecting box needs to work together. So 
if that were to come together and those front seven and then the safety when he's supposed to, I mean, they do a great job stopping the run and defending that. And the Steelers can get a running game going with some consistency and be, uh, and really focus on that. I think you can mitigate a lot of their issues. Um, if those two things can't happen, I mean, it's going to be hard to beat the Colts and it's going to be hard to beat Cleveland and probably than anybody you see in the playoffs uh, to your point, can they win another game? So, it all starts there, and I just think that's where you have to have enormous focus. If you can win those two areas, then you're going to win this game, and then you get yourself a chance every Sunday um, to win. Merrill, along those lines, I mean, especially on offense, but is this a less physical team than you're used to seeing, and does that surprise you? Yeah, a little bit. Um, you know, they've lost their physical presence. You know, they've lost their um, their variety in their running attack. Um you know, they've had such a mixture of backs, too. Guys have been in and out uh, and been in flux there. Um, and then they were so good in the passing game, you know, that became more of a priority. They were winning in that fashion. Um, and, but now it's, you know, it's, it's really come back to haunt them in the sense of you can, you always need it, you know, and teams that don't have it, I'm just I'm just telling you, I, I mean, I've had great conversations with this. This is not just my experience of 40 years of playing and studying. I mean, I've talked to people who go back and talk about all their, how they won a Super Bowl. Bill Parcells, Bill Parcells and I worked together for a long time. He and I were sitting there talking about, and he's actually the first person to ever bring my attention, really use the word tempo. He was like, that is the most important aspect in the national football league. If you're going to win consistently, we will beat the bills. We controlled the tempo. That's what we had to do. Is the only shot for us to win that Super Bowl. We had to control the tempo. That's why we ran the ball in the manner which we did. Now, does you, you have to have the phases? Sure, but that had to be the priority. And if you didn't, if we didn't win that, he's like, we can't win that game, which they they do. You you, you go on history and history, um, and that is that is actually spot on and true even today. Um, so to not have that presence, um, you know, so, but sometimes you get so you know, caught up at that you got number seven back there, that that's enough. And it is enough a lot of times, you know, but um, when seven's not on, when that's not going, you know, you got to have other ways to win, win football. And, you know, I, I don't know if it, it'd be interesting. Yeah. You know, I really thought up to last week, I, I thought, man, they really can do that. And then now I'm not so sure I'm, I'm a little, I'm, I'm befuddled on the whole thing, to be honest with you, because I'm like, lot, I'm like, a lot I, of that going around, like Merrill. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's I'm a lot befuddling. of befuddled back, <laughs> back here. Hey, you know Ben as well as anybody. You've watched him as closely as anyone. I don't think his arm is shot, but I don't see a confident guy back there right now. Um, what 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 do you see when you see Ben Roethlisberger relative to what you need to see? I would agree, you know, and listen, here's how confidence can erode quickly when you're getting pounded and when people are dropping the ball. Now, I'm not making excuses for him because yep. he didn't listen, then he made a bad throw, some bad decisions. So, you know, this isn't, um, this is not the time to point fingers. It's the time to reflect on, hey, what am I doing wrong? Okay. What can I do better? You start pointing fingers, you'll change nothing. Um, so, that being said, his decision making hasn't quite been where I had seen in the past and see that can be a part of not trusting, you know, then you start, you know, and when that gets in your head, you know, then you start doing things you shouldn't be doing. Um, I can't explain his one, his intersection. And when they rushed three drop nine, he, 
you know, and if you're not in the pocket, I can't tell you, you know, because it clearly from the coaching tape and the comfort of my chair, I'm like, I can see him, <laughs> but that doesn't mean he can see him, you know. Um, and, you know, they booted him out. And I think they thought they were going to take the, they were going to the Bengals off guard on that very first play, you know, and he's just not the athlete he once was. And if you can't get your hips turned and throw that ball, you, I mean, I, Patrick Mahomes can't make that. Shoot, um, uh, the kid in Buffalo, gosh, they went, the name, Josh his Allen. name just Josh Allen. Josh Allen. Josh Allen may pull it off, but it would still be a, an, an arduous attempt to do that. So um, you can't get your shoulders and hips turned around because you're trying to outrun a, a defensive end, but you can't get there. Well, the shot you're trying to take is not going to happen. Um, now, when you see the touchdown throw he made, you know, you know, people have always arm. All right, there's nothing wrong with his arm. I mean, you, every when you watch throws, he can make. But I think it's more, Mike, what you're talking about—the trust factor and the confidence factor aspect—is is playing a role here. And see, that's even more so. Let's take pressure off him. You know, let's get some type of establishment. I'm going to tell you this: in all the games where we would pound the living tar out of people and win games, okay, you could see it and feel how demoralized the defense was. Now, there was games where we, you know, the running game wasn't that effective. We were through the football. There is not the same demoralizing effect on a defense when you when you win that way. I'm just telling you, there's not. I mean, nobody wants to lose, but it is not the same effect. And when you do that, man, it just can help some of your other players that are that are not playing where their passing game is out of whack right now. Um, so the best way to do that is quit relying on it so much and go back to something that can get you back into the game that also helps the other side of the ball, which is your defense, which they're in trouble right now, you know, with their box players. So that's the one way you can remedy it. You know, it's, it's not chucking it all over, over the yard right now. Merrill, where do you think Phillip Rivers is right now in his career? Obviously, they're the same draft class. You know what? They're, they're almost twins. It's funny you said that because – uh, you know, I've watched the Colts from the day they this season started, and they they were in flux, man. They were trying; they're trying to get their running game going. They try to get their new back going, their rookie um, from Wisconsin going. Their offensive line was not really in in sync. They had moments, and Phil Rivers was being asked to do a lot of it, and and there was no rhythm and timing there. And you could see it; they were out of sync. Okay, now they run they run the ball. There's a priority to it. There's a physical presence to it. They're good at it. Um, when they throw it, they have they kind of dictate Philip Rivers. Or if it's empty or a pure pass look, ball comes out quick. They want to take a shot. They actually use a lot of run action. Half field reads. You think he's a rookie, actually, quite honestly. <laughs> when you're studying them, you're like, but they they listen. They're gonna they're gonna protect him, and they're gonna give him time to take the shots. And that's all predicated on we can dictate that because you have to worry about our running game now. I dictate what type of coverage you're gonna get in. You can't be creative and flexible because you have to worry about me running it down your throat right now. So that's, and that's another reason that, you, that if you really hammer teams, you force them to do things they don't want to do. And that's give somebody up in the secondary. Now, I know what you're going to be in. Or I got a higher percentage of knowing what you're going to be in versus if I don't do that, which now makes it easier to, to throw the football. And that's what they've been able to do offensively. That's why it's so vital in this game. They cannot let them – get going and they're good i mean they they maul you man they they got some you know some guards and they're in training guy tier guys are physical dudes and they get moving and you know, your linebackers have to complement what's going on your defensive line can only do so much if you got a defensive tackle their job is not to get blown off the football and fight two guys okay well that's an arduous task the linebackers you got to get to the rescue quickly you can't be peeking and looking around because 
before you know it, they're going to be in your lap, and then that back's going to have 12 yards on you. So, you know, this is a uh, a big challenge, but but clearly if they're capable of doing it, if they can do it on a, a fairly consistent basis, because nobody does it consistently. I mean, but you have to win 25 of the 30 snaps um, if they're going to run the ball that much. Merrill, we've got about two minutes left. Are, are the Steelers in a place where if they can get it together and beat a good team such as Indianapolis, does that restore the confidence and get the ball rolling back in the right direction? Is it, are they one win away, so to speak? Yeah, well, I, I don't think there's any question, but I kind of, kind of think how do they go about that? And, I, and I'm just – I really kind of talked about what I think has to happen in order for it to get back on track. You know, you guys remember Ron Earhart, right? Uh, okay, Ron Earhart was another one of the great minds in all of football. Okay, he was his off- the offense coordinator when Bill Parcells. This is kind of what sparked this conversation. We he used had, to bump cigarettes I, you know, off the media. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You know, back well, when everybody is, smoked? Yeah. <laughs> yes, there you go. Well, you know, Ron Earhart and I actually bumped heads when, we, I first, when he first came because he wanted to cut me. He, and, he, and, they, and, and Mr. Rooney and Bill Cowher wouldn't let that happen because he wanted to bring Maurice Carthon in, was, who was nothing more than a glorified guard. And so I used to tell him, I go, listen, you got a guy who, who led the team in rushing and receiving, and you can't incorporate him in your offense. I go, how does that, how brilliant does that make you? I go, how do you, you know, I mean, that's how, this is the conversation we had, because we, he would go at it with me. Um, this is another time for how it all came back together, but I respected him as a coach. And he was the one guy who put in our staple three. And it was three, two runs and a pass. He's like, these three plays, we will be able to use at any time and duress. When we can't do anything and we got nothing going, I don't care who we're playing, these three plays we will run back to back to back to back until we get back on track. And it was two runs in a pass. It wasn't two passes in a run. It wasn't two passes. And our pass was a slant, too, by the way, <laughs> or slant or a hitch. It was, nothing, uh, it was nothing complicated or vertical, okay? And I'm telling you, I can't tell you how many times we used that in a game. And it got us back into a rhythm and got us going. And <clears throat> I never forgot that. And, I, and then I saw it work. And it really instilled, really actually how Chuck had established how we're going to play and things that we needed to do in order to be successful. But I was just too young there to, you know, grasp it all. And just Merrill, I got to cut you off right there. We're, we're about out of time. But uh, oh, yeah, three no. plays. This, this, this I got goes too two fast. runs. Too fast. Two runs and a slant and beat, beat the Colts and, and get back to it. Uh, Merrill Hodge, have a Merry Amen. Christmas, Merrill. We'll, we'll talk Thank to you guys. next week. You Thanks. Take care, Merrill. That's it for us. Thanks to uh, Tom Behind the Glass. Thanks to Matt, and thanks for you for finding us. Matt and I i will be back with Merrill next week. Until then, you're listening to Steelers Preview on your Steelers flagship, 102.5 DVE and SNR. Merry Christmas, everyone.